Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. Well, good morning. How you doing? <laughs> I want to welcome everybody here in the room, everybody watching online. How many of you love Skittles? Raise your hands. Okay. I may regret this illustration because you're going to be drooling the whole service, not hearing anything that I'm about to say. So today we are in part two of a series called Hijacked. And really the subtitle says it all, when emotions rule your life. So how do we not let emotions hijack and take control of our lives? You know, every once in a while, you'll run across a survey with questions like this. What would you do if you knew you could get away with it? Okay, like you wouldn't get caught. There would be no consequences. You would get off scot-free. What would you do? If you've ever read one of those surveys, the answers are terrifying, right? <laughs> They really are. So I want you to turn to the person next to you right now as we get started. And hopefully somebody you don't know if you get a choice. And, and ask this question, what would you do if you knew you could get away with it? No, 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 please don't do that. Just stop right here. We really don't want to know, okay? Just kidding. What we do know is this. <laughs> we do know that when fear is gone, like if we know we won't get caught, if we know we can get away with it, in that moment, all of a sudden, our, our hearts are revealed. We see what's really in there. In fact, I would say that when I asked this question a few seconds ago, for some of you, all right, something really yucky came to your mind, something bad, and it came here in church, right? You couldn't even say, oh my, I shouldn't be thinking about this. Right now, I'm in church. It just popped up. Now, since childhood, because of our culture and because we're responsible people, we've learned to monitor our behavior. We talked about this last week. We monitor behavior so we can get jobs, so we can get dates, so we can get second dates, we learn to monitor our behavior, but nobody's ever taught us to monitor our hearts. In fact, in our culture, we're often encouraged to do what? Follow your heart. Is that a good idea? <laughs> well, it all depends on what's in here, right? So Jesus, he said this in Matthew 15, 17 to 20. He said, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? To which we say, yes, we see that, hopefully daily, okay? And then he says, but, but, but the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. What comes out, comes out, because it's in here already. And then he makes this remark, brilliant observation. He says, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. He says, it's not what you put into your body that defiles you. It's what comes out because what comes out can hurt other people, right? What comes out can hurt other people. Now, this explains why seemingly nice people may suddenly say or do something ugly. In fact, a little sidebar for you here. If you're in a dating relationship right now with somebody who on occasion says or does something out of character, especially if they're under stress or pressure, pay attention to that. Pay attention to that. And if they say, oh, I don't know where that came from, you can just lean in and say, well, I do. Right? It came from your heart. It came out of here because it was in here. Or, or let me describe it this way. 
Shaking this container right here, okay, or tipping this container over does not determine what comes out of this glass container, does it? No, what's already in here, the Skittles, what's already in there determines what comes out. And so it is with all of us. And so if you're moving toward a serious relationship, pay attention to what comes out in those unguarded moments because, again, we're all guarded. We've learned to be on our best behavior. The bottom line is this. We should heed wise King Solomon's advice. He said this in Proverbs 4.23. Above all else, guard your heart. Guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Everything you say, everything you do ultimately flows from your heart. We've learned to monitor behavior, but Solomon says it's not just behavior. It goes beyond behavior. We need to learn to catch what's inside first because otherwise it will spill out. Think about this. What your parents carried in their hearts eventually spilled out onto each other and onto you. And so guarding our hearts involves cleaning out some toxins in there because there's some yucky stuff in our hearts. I mean, most of our hearts don't look like this, do they? They're not all sweet and pretty. So guarding our hearts involves cleaning out some toxins and keeping them out. And that's what this whole series is about. Now, I want to begin today with one emotion that all of us carry around at times. It's the emotion of guilt. And guilt is the emotion associated with acknowledging that we've done something wrong. And let me just say this. There are different types of guilt. First of all, there is false guilt. That's where you're feeling guilty, but, but you're not really guilty. Okay, we're not talking about that today. Today is about guilt we have because we are guilty. We did something wrong. We hurt somebody else. Now, sometimes there's guilt, but we bury it. Okay, it's real because we did something, but we just kind of pretend it's not there or we just don't even feel it. Like maybe it's something so bad that we did in that relationship or in that job, whatever, and we're guilty, but it's so terrifying, so overwhelming that we just kind of stuff it. And we know that we're guilty and every once in a while it comes lurking up. And when it does, we all do the same thing. We create a narrative that allows us to carry that guilt without it overwhelming us. And let me tell you, we all have narratives. And the narratives, they, they go something like this. Well, you know, it, it wasn't just me. I mean, they participated as well. Well, you know, I, I was only 20, so I really didn't know any better. I was so young. Or, you know, my, my dad was that way. My grandfather was that way. I bet Adam was that way, right? We create some narrative that allows us to distance ourselves from the guilt and suppress it. But here's the thing about guilt. Denying it or excusing it or allowing it to define us, it always empowers the guilt. And we experience guilt as a weight that throws us off balance because it creates a debt-debtor relationship. It's between us and ourselves and it's between us and other people. Think about this. When you wrong another person, there's a sense in which you took something from them. Could have been a childhood, could have been time, it could have been money, reputation, self-esteem. You took something. Every time you wrong somebody, you take something from them. And when you take something from them, then you owe them. In fact, we have terminology around this. We say it all the time. I owe her an apology. I owe her. I took something, so now I got to give something back. And I can't give back exactly what I took. Like, I can't give her that time back. I can't give her that period of her life back. I can't give her her self-esteem back. I can't give her her husband back. 
I can't give her, you know, that particular time with her children back. But I owe her something. I'm in debt to her. Now, here's what makes this so difficult. I think we don't experience guilt as debt. We experience guilt as a weight that throws us off balance. In fact, some of you, because of your unresolved guilt, you're off balance as a parent. You overparent or you're a permissive parent. And it's all because there's something in your past that's throwing you off. Something that's unresolved that's back there. And maybe it's not just in parenting. You're, you're too aggressive in relationships or you're too timid in relationships. And your ability to love and forgive yourself or others, it's off balance because of this debt-debtor relationship. And once again, we have terminology around this. We say it all the time. When we get released from, get rid of this guilt, how do we feel? What do we say? We say, oh, it feels like a weight has been lifted off of me. Isn't that what we say? Because we carry guilt like a weight everywhere we go. And maybe you picked up that weight of guilt at work, but then you carried it home with you. Or maybe you picked up that weight of guilt in college, but then you carried it with you into the next season of life. Or you picked up that weight of guilt on a business trip, and then you carried it back home to your home city. Our guilt travels with us. And if we don't resolve it, guilt evolves into something very different, very sinister. Guilt evolves into anger. Because at the end of the day, you're angry with yourself. Like, I didn't live up to my own expectations. Well, the problem with anger then is that anger leaks. Like you've disappointed yourself, so now all those closest to you, you're disappointed with them. You couldn't meet your own standards, so now everybody else can't meet my own standards either. And here's the last thing, last key point I want to say about guilt. Guilty people rarely ever make the connection between their guilt and their anger. Like they're rarely able to put their finger on the source of their anger. And if anybody tries to point it out to them, they just quickly say, well, here's what's wrong with you. Now, honestly, there's a good reason we don't want to face up to our guilt. It's because facing our guilt leaves us with no recourse. Like it leaves us condemned. Why? Because you can't go back and undo the past. People, you can't unsay, you can't undo, you can't be un unfaithful, you can't undrink or unwork too much, you can't return a child's childhood. And so we create a narrative, we try to move on, but you can't do that either. Because your past was not something that was designed to be left completely behind. Your past, it's a part of your story. And if you don't resolve it, you carry it with you everywhere you go. Now, here's the good news. Anybody want some good news right now? Okay. All right, this is why I spent the first 10 minutes depressing you as much as I possibly could, bringing to mind all that stuff you never wanted to think about again. Here it is. Here's the good news. You don't have to be defined by your past. You do not have to be defined by your past. There's another option. And somebody who experiences in a way, this in a way we can't even begin to imagine, he, he put it into words better than anybody. And I'm about to read you the words of a man who I would say had more regret than everybody in this room combined. A man whose life experiences left him so broken, so ashamed, so guilty. Because the Apostle Paul, he was formerly known as Saul of Tarsus. And if you don't know Saul of Tarsus' story, hmm. Saul of Tarsus was a man who went around arresting, torturing, imprisoning, and executing innocent men and women in the name of God. 
And, and later in his life, he would face parents of children that he had arrested and executed. And he would face children of parents that he had arrested and executed. Because later in his life, he was fully immersed in the very community of fathers and sons and mothers and daughters and aunts and uncles and cousins of those he had arrested, tortured, imprisoned, and executed in the name of God. I mean, I can't imagine the horror. I can't imagine carrying that because he heard the screams. He had regrets like we can't even begin to imagine. But you know what's amazing about his story? What's amazing about Paul's story is he didn't try to somehow deny his guilt. He didn't even try to sand off the rough edges of his guilt. Instead, what Paul did is he documented his story for us. But rather than allowing his guilt to define him or trying to deny it or distance himself from it, Paul, when he became a Jesus follower, he discovered a third way. And this is what he wrote in a letter to Christians living in Rome. We're going to do Romans 8 today, 1 to 4. Incredible passage of Scripture. Here's what Paul says. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. People, there is a way where your past is neither forgotten nor condemning. You no longer have to pretend it didn't happen. You no longer have to create a narrative that gives you excuses. You can face it without feeling the overwhelming just conflict, the overwhelming condemnation, either from yourself, self-condemnation, or from God. There is a way. What is this way? He tells us, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Those who face the truth about themselves, those who come to God and acknowledge that, those who put their faith in Jesus for forgiveness and eternal life, they stand uncondemned, and they're actually able to regain their balance. How is this true? Well, he tells us, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. You know, the law of sin and death is simply this. When you sin, you're stuck, right? When you wrong another person, you're just guilty and you're guilty forever, right? And, and there's no way to go back and undo that. And so guilt at that point is the boss of you. But Paul says the law of the Spirit has set you free from that. How? For what the law was powerless to do. And just so you know, the law is kind of like your rules, like what you should have done in that relationship, what you should have done as a spouse in your marriage, what you should have done as a parent, what you should have done at work. And the only thing the law can do is set the standard as low as it can go. And then if we go below that, it condemns us and at times maybe punishes us, but it can't restore you. It cannot set you free. The law simply reminds you, you're guilty, you're guilty, you're guilty. So good luck with that, right? Live with it, deny it, come up with a narrative, but you're gonna spend the rest of your life limping around off balance. Well, Paul discovered that God did something even the best law in the world cannot do. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. God became flesh and lived among us in the person of Jesus. And hear me on this. This is extraordinarily important. God didn't send Jesus to earth just to show us how to live, though he did. And God didn't send Jesus to earth just to show us how to love, though he did. 
And God didn't send Jesus to earth just to show us what God is like, though he did. God sent Jesus in the form of sinful flesh to take upon himself what you and I deserved and to set us free. What the law couldn't do, God did. On the cross, Jesus took what you and I deserved upon himself. And what did he take upon himself? You say, well, Brian, he he took my sins. Yes, yes, that's true. But it's even better than that. He took upon himself the condemnation associated with your sin. The divine condemnation, Jesus took it. There is now no condemnation. The self-condemnation, Jesus took it. All condemnation, condemnation from others, Jesus took it. And when Paul recognized that and stepped into that and began living this, it freed him. And God's saying to all of us, come on, bring your guilt to me. Like, come to me with your eyes wide open. I don't want to hear stories. I don't need narratives, no excuses, no blaming, okay? Come to me with eyes wide open. And together, we'll agree that you are guilty. You broke his heart. You betrayed her. You were irresponsible with your body. You lied to get your way. You knew better, but you did it anyway. Let's own it. Let's get it out. Let's own it. You're guilty, but not condemned. Guilty, but not condemned. God says, when I look at you, I don't see that. And I don't want you to see it either, because when you look at you, I want you to see you the way I see you. And it doesn't stop there. I want you to see her the way I see her. And I want you to see him the way I see him. And Paul finishes with this. So he, God, condemned sin. See what he condemned? He condemned sin. He didn't condemn you. So God condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. You know what that means? God has restored you to a guiltless relationship with him in spite of your actual guilt. He chooses to love you and to listen to you and to respond to you as if it never happened. You're guilty, but not condemned because Jesus took that condemnation upon himself. Jesus took your guilt upon himself. Now, is all this just a bunch of theological gobbledygook? (laughs) Not at all. Let me give you four huge implications of this as we wrap up. Because the moment you step into a relationship with Jesus, the moment you put your faith in Jesus for forgiveness and eternal life, four major things happen. And I put these on your outline. Number one, you forfeit the right to condemn yourself because you are not yours to condemn. Guilt is not the boss of you, so you don't get to be the boss of you either. You got a new boss, and your new boss says you are not condemned. You're not condemned. Not at all. Now, what does that mean? Well, that means you can tell that voice of guilt and shame inside of you, hey, I know, I'm, I'm feeling it again. You know, Brian just reminded me of it. I, I get it, okay? Yeah, I know. I know. But let me tell you something, guilt and shame. Yes, I'm guilty, but I'm not condemned. In fact, I've lost the right to condemn myself because I've been purchased by the blood of Jesus. Christian, you are not condemned. Number two, your guilt will remind you, but it will not define you. You did it, but you're not what you did. God condemned sin. He didn't condemn you. Let me say that again. God condemned sin. He didn't condemn you. 
So your past, your worst moment ever becomes a pivot point for you. Not to condemn yourself, but to turn to God in gratitude. You may remember this story that one day Jesus was teaching and a woman was there who was so broken, so overwhelmed with gratitude to Jesus for forgiving her sinful past that she couldn't control herself. She was weeping uncontrollably. She fell down to his feet. She anointed his feet with perfume and she's, she's crying. The tears are dripping onto his feet and she's, she's wiping those tears and that perfume with her hair and, and the host was embarrassed by all this. But listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said, I tell you, her sins, and <laughs> I like this, and they are many, okay? How many of us you'd say that? I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. Now get this. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. The more you've been forgiven, the more stuff you have in your past to be embarrassed by, the greater your capacity for love and gratitude. And this is why if you're in a worship service and, and the songs are going and people are singing and there's somebody in here and they've got their hands lifted up and they're just weeping uncontrollably, I guarantee you that's somebody with a story. And certain lyrics remind them, I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. That is not who I am. How badly off balance I would be if it weren't for the love and grace of Jesus. So I'm telling you, your past is a pivot point to look up and express your extraordinary gratitude to him. Number three, you forfeit the right to condemn others because that would make you a hypocrite. And usually the more judgmental a person is, the less aware they are of their own sin. Because people who have faced their past failures and brought those to God find it really hard to judge or condemn another because that makes them a hypocrite. After all, you receive freely, so how could you not freely give? Number four, now you are free to make restitution without expectations and excuses. Folks, let me tell you what Christianity is not. Christianity is not, I hurt you, I betrayed you, and then I, I went into my room, and, and God and I talked, and I asked him for forgiveness, and, and now everything's good. That's not Christianity. Christianity is, I hurt you. I faced my own guilt. I asked God to forgive me, and he gave me what I didn't deserve. So the least I can do is go back to you and make restitution and give you what you do deserve. That's Christianity. Your new marching order is to love as you have been loved. So how dare we not go back and make restitution for what we've done wrong? And when we go, hear me on this, when we go, we don't bring our narrative we don't bring our excuses. No, we own it all. And we make restitution freely because of what God has done for us freely. And who knows? You know, maybe your willingness to humble yourself, to exemplify Christ's humility, to make restitution, it may free them up to face what's going on in their heart. Now, as we close here, I hate to ask you this question, but I'm going to do it anyway, Okay. So maybe the only reason you're here this morning is somebody waiting for you to make the first move. Is there somebody in your past still reeling, still carrying the shrapnel of what you've done to them, and they're just hoping and they're waiting, and it doesn't bother you at all, but they're churning on the inside? You know, is pride keeping you from making that first move? Now, maybe it's time to, to stop making excuses, be honest with God, 
and be honest with that other person. Maybe it's time to, to come clean. And, and I understand the tension here. I understand that we fear the consequences of confession more than we fear the consequences of concealment. But that's a mistake because it just makes shame and guilt and denial the boss of you. So as we close, let's read this out loud together, okay? You ready? <laughs> Here it is. We're going to read, my past will remind me it will not define me. Here we go. One, two, three. My past will remind me it will not define me. All right, once more, my past will remind me it will not define me. Like, I'm going to face my past. I'm going to own it. Guilt will not control me anymore. Like, only in Christ can I stand guilty but not condemned. And let me tell you, if you have a hard time forgiving yourself, here's some good news. Yourself is already forgiven. Like, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What that law couldn't do, God did for you. So now he just invites you to come and step into it. Step into that freedom in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, it's an amazing, amazing truth that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And there are times when the enemy will get in our head and, and try to just make us feel guilty about our past, remind us of our past. And we need to recognize we don't even have the right to condemn ourselves. We lost that. You're the boss of us, and you have said there is no condemnation. That you condemn sin, you did not condemn us. So God, when we think about our past, when we think about that guilt, please, Lord, let it not define us. That we are a new creation in you. And God, I pray that we would all recognize that we have no right to condemn another person. That would make us a hypocrite. We can confront. There are times we can challenge and exhort. Those are all things we can do. But God, maybe there's, maybe there's somebody in our past that we need to go to without excuses, without expectations. Lord, would you just speak to each of our hearts, maybe right now, maybe this afternoon, Maybe sometime this week, God, that we would be open to say, is there somebody I need to go to? Not with a narrative, not with excuses, but just own it and ask them to forgive, to forgive us. Lord, as we move forward, this is so important that we not be stuck in guilt, that we get free, that we can remember the past but not be defined by it. So God, we, we love you so much. We're, we're so grateful for all that you've done for us in Christ Jesus, that you would not only pay for our sins, but you would release us from the condemnation and guilt. You're such a good and awesome God. And all we can do is just say thank you, thank you, thank you for your goodness and grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.